0: Welcome and thank you for accepting our invitation to join us for this Bible study on Wednesday the 23rd of December 2020. We've only got two days left before we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. You know, this time of year it's easy to get caught up in the holiday festivities of giving and receiving gifts, and really that's not all bad. When you think about it, Jesus gives and takes as well. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the encounter Jesus had with the woman at the well, where he gave her the offer of living water. Jesus also removed, or if you will, took the scales from the eyes of the man that was blind from birth, and he restored his sight. Now let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father and Creator of the heavens and earth, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, we also thank you for your Holy Spirit. Help us, O Lord, to be thankful every day for these gifts you have given us. Open our hearts and our minds with your Holy Word, and through that Word we ask that you strengthen our relationship with Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for this Bible study and reflection today is Give and Take. As we journey together today through God's Word and my reflection, it's my hope that we get a clearer picture of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working in concert to give us what we need for our renewal and remove from us that which may be hindering our renewal. Jesus takes away the sin of the world. In the book of John, let's listen to what John the Baptist had to say about Jesus. And I'm reading for, the, excuse me, from the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You know, Jesus also gives us hope, as evidenced by what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. The next reading is from Matthew chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Here is the reading. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Most of you know that I am a builder by profession, and I've always been interested in the account of the temple built by Solomon. In my business, more often than not, my projects are guided by plans and specifications prepared by architects and planners in advance of a building project. In Solomon's case, his architect and planner was God. Solomon received exact measurements for the temple— as well as details and specific building materials that were to be used. In modern-day construction, builders like myself pick up the phone and call a building supply to order concrete, lumber, sheetrock, and everything else necessary to complete a project. In Solomon's case, he relied on what was native to the area, but he also did import materials as well. The Lebanon region was well known for its cedar and juniper trees, and they were a main component in the building of the temple. In the book of 1 Kings, we get a sense of the enormity of this project. In this reading, the king of Tyre was Hiram, and when he learned of Solomon's plan to build a temple, he reached out to him and offered help with supplying building materials. Here is the reading from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 5, verses 10 through 16. In this way, Hiram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and juniper logs he wanted. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, in addition to 20,000 baths of pressed olive oil. Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom, just as he had promised him. There were peaceful relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon conscripted laborers from all Israel, 30,000 men. He sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month, so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adnorim was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 stone cutters in the hills, as well as 3,300 foremen who supervised the project and directed the workers. Wow. This was quite an undertaking, to say the least. And the amount of building materials that had to be brought to the site was almost beyond comprehension. Solomon spent seven years building the temple, I'm reminded of my trip to the Holy Land in late 2018. I accompanied Pastor Metz and Christina, along with others, on this once-of-a-lifetime trip. This was without a doubt one of the most meaningful trips I have ever taken in my life. The majority of our time during the trip was spent in Israel, but we did carve out two days where we spent time in the country of Jordan. Our side trip to Jordan was a visit to an area called Petra. The word Petra in Greek means rock. This area truly is one of the wonders of the world. The city is a honeycomb of hand-hewn caves, temples, and tombs carved from pink sandstone in the high desert of Jordan. All this occurred some 2,000 years ago. Hidden by time and shifting sand, Petra tells of a lost civilization. Little is known about the Nabataeans, a nomadic desert people whose kingdom rose up from the cliffs and peaks. Petra grew into the Nabataeans' most prominent city, linking camel caravans between the Mediterranean and Arabian seas from Egypt to Syria and beyond to Greece. Control of water sources and an almost magic ability to vanish into the cleft rocks ensured the Nabataeans remained unconquered for centuries. One of the most famous carved structures in Petra is called the treasury. The reason it was called the treasury is because later generations thought there was treasure hidden in some of the sandstone carvings. This theory was found to be untrue at the expense of some of the carvings being damaged as looters searched for treasure. They ultimately found none. The Treasury is one of the sites that appeared in the film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You may remember that. It is mammoth in size when you consider it was all sculpted by hand. It is 83 feet wide and 128 feet tall. The thing that struck me most about Petra in the treasury was it required no building materials to be delivered to the site. The Nabataeans used the existing pink rock as their building material, but instead of adding to it, they took away from it to create beautiful structures. To visit the site required a seven-mile round trip. At the end of the day, when we returned to our hotel, I had time to rest and reflect what I'd seen and what it meant to me that day. As we all know from Scripture, God has a plan, and while we do not know everything about God's plan, we do know that it is perfect. The interesting thing is that God has made a covenant with imperfect humanity to help him carry out his plan. As I pondered what I'd seen that day, a picture of Jesus came to mind as he takes away the sin of the world and renews us day by day. Jesus's renewal of us as sinful human beings requires that our sinful nature be chipped away bit by bit to eventually reveal the renewed humanity. When I witnessed the beauty of the structure that had been carved out of those craggy, rose-colored rocks, it reminded me of what Jesus does for us in our lives. He takes our rough, sinful nature and slowly chisels away at our imperfections to reveal our beauty. When Jesus returns, this renewal that has already started will be completed and reveal a magnificently perfect creation. I find the following three readings from God's Word to be very meaningful. The first reading is from Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Here is the reading. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be with his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And the next reading is also from Revelation Chapter 22, verses 12 through 13. Here is the reading Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the last reading comes from the book of Titus, chapter 3 verses 3 through 8. Here is the reading. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I chose those three scripture readings today to reveal that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working in concert to bring about this renewal, in conclusion, to borrow a line from Paul's letter to Titus, abiding in God's word is excellent and profitable for everyone. If you remember, Paul did not start out as a follower of Christ, but as a persecutor of Jesus' followers. He was constantly on the move, pursuing the early Christians. It took a very dramatic intervention from Jesus to stop Paul in his tracks, God gives us free will to constantly stay on the move and never slow down or to slow down and listen to him occasionally. This partial verse from Psalm 46 is a constant reminder to me. Be still and know that I am God. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you very much for your word. That is one unified story that leads us to Jesus. Lord, as you call us to your word, help us to hear that call and strengthen our relationship with Jesus by abiding in your word every day. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I hope and pray that God will keep you safe and well during this Advent and Christmas season and many more to come. Go in peace Serve the Lord.